Hi there, everyone. Welcome once again to Greenlight Reviews. My name is Les Roberts. I'm Ann Elder. And today, Ann, we are going to review a film called Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, based on the Charlotte Bronte novel. This is the 30th movie version of this. Mm-hmm. And this is a British film, and it stars Mia Wasikowska. She was intriguing. She's very intriguing. And in this film, she plays a very plain woman, Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre is an orphan. She is raised by a distant relative, Mm -hmm. and they are very cruel to her. Eventually, they send her off to girls' school, which is more or less an orphanage, where she is again mistreated very badly. Mm -hmm. And during all this, she grows up supposedly subservient, as Mm -hmm. poor young women were supposed to be back in those days. But beneath that subservience, she was a hard, tough, no-nonsense woman. She developed a backbone. Absolutely. And for Mia Wasikowska to bring that to this role absolutely astonished me. I think you and I have both talked about Mm -hmm. the American version that was done back in the 40s starring Joan Fontaine and Orson Welles. Exactly. Joan Fontaine, first of all, no matter what she did to her, she was not a plain woman. She was very, very beautiful. And she played this role kind of wimpy Mm -hmm. and weak. Mia Wasikowska does not play this weakness at all, and she is absolutely sensational in this movie. Well, most actresses in the past played Jane with a kind of frustrated sappiness. Yes. They feel compelled to do that. Mia Wasikowska brings, as I just said, a backbone to the role, but, you know, she makes sure that we understand that this Jane possesses courage, honesty, freshness, devotion, and loyalty, and strength of character. This is a Jane who knows who she is right from the get-go. And we see that little sense of independence and that determination coming to the front when she's a youngster and then, of course, when she's a young girl. I think Jane was only 18 when she becomes governess to Rochester, who is always off doing strange things. We're never really sure what his business is, are we? That's true. But anyway, she's in charge of Rochester's young ward, Adele, and she is the governess for this young lady. But everything that she does in the first part of this film really is a harbinger of things to come. And Definitely. we can really see that this is a character you're not going to take too lightly. Absolutely. And, you know, if you read the book, now I have to admit it has been more years than I hear to think about since I read Jane Eyre. Uh-huh. But I remember back then the strength behind the subservience and the politeness. But that was in the book. You're exactly right. And I was just so astonished at what she did. Now, she plays opposite Michael Fassbender, who plays Edward Rochester. Now, Rochester is a very moody man. Mm-hmm. Dark, very smoldering dark. Yes. are words that are usually attributed to Rochester. Sure. And Edward has a terrible secret that mm-hmm. we don't find out about until much later. But I guess this is why he is bitter about so many things. And I've got to say this about Michael Fassbender. Number one, he's too good looking to play this role. Number two, he didn't bring the fire that Timothy Dalton brought to a TV version back about 30 years ago. And he certainly did not bring the overpowering anger that Orson Welles brought to the screen. Mm -hmm. So there isn't too much I can say about Michael Fassbender. I don't want to put him down. But I was thinking to myself that, you know, were I in my 30s and still acting and somebody came to me and said, we'd like you to play Edward Rochester, I would have said, no, I can't 
handle that role? Well, I think that Wells is kind of the epitome of bad boy attractiveness. Sure. And Timothy Dalton did a different take on it. He made him quite a bit more dashing. But there was something very clever about Orson Welles. He was able to walk the fine line between being malevolent and being appealing in that role. On the other hand, Fassbender takes his time with developing the character here, and I thought that he did a very credible job. I like the fact that he was handsome as opposed to just kind of smoldering, and I think he was very believable and he was very honest. This is a different approach to Jane Eyre all the way around, and I think it's most important that we point out that in the past, the movie has belonged to the guy, yes, Rochester. Right. In this version, the movie is all Jane Eyre. And so it really didn't matter, I didn't believe, as much to have a Rochester who was so domineering. So I think that in balance, it really worked for this particular version. Well, I think this version does work very, very well. I haven't seen all 30, but I've seen many Mm -hmm. versions of Jane Eyre. And I think this is, certainly in terms of its star, it is the best one. I also want to mention that the housekeeper in Mm -hmm. Thornhill, which is Rochester's mansion, is played by Judy Dench. Right. Oh, boy. She's so good. She certainly She's is. She's so good in everything she does. Well, I like the fact that she dispenses a lot of wisdom and advice, sometimes unsolicited. Yes. And she does so with a certain amount of wit. I wouldn't call her a cozy presence. Oh, no. But I would say that it's a welcomed one in this movie. This is a very subtle presentation. The actors never really go over the top. I think it's quite a bit less melodramatic than the version from the 40s that Orson Welles did. And I like the fact that much more is made of the character of Jane Eyre and what makes her tick. You know, it's quite wonderful to watch this woman come alive on the screen. As I said earlier, she knows who she is, and she's such a grateful person. She's so appreciative, but not in a sickening way. Right. She just understands that life dealt her a bad hand, and she's really happy over the smallest of favors. I remember that one scene early on when she's assigned a job as a local school teacher before she becomes the governess. Right. And she's assigned this horrible district where she's living in a ghastly one-room schoolhouse with no neighbors. Right. Nothing around her except those ghastly moors. And the man apologizes for it. And in a sense, she says, are you kidding? I finally have my very own home and I have my own fire and I have my own window and my own door. And for that, I am grateful. I mean, there's something about Jane Eyre that really brings you back to earth. She is a very solid, real person. And we don't get to see that very much up on the screen. Right. And that's very wonderful in terms of the script and in terms of the interpretation that Mia Wasikowska gives this intricate character. Let's just be honest. This is a 19th century Victorian woman who comes off very much like a 21st century feminist. Absolutely. Absolutely. I loved the whole film for that reason, and I certainly liked her. And she's going on my list as one of those people that I will never miss in a movie again. Well, we root for her, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we anguish with her because, as I said, Les, here's a woman who really is pretty strong and knows who she is, and she knows where her heart is. But the only time that we see her start to break 
and I thought that was also very real, was when she thinks that Rochester might be looking at another woman, and therefore she is crushed. Yes. But she doesn't let it destroy her, and that's what's so cool about Jane Eyre. She's crushed behind her eyes. That's what you call great acting. I agree. I think we also must give a nod to the brilliant direction of Kerry Fukunaga. I think he found just the right look for this movie. The cinematography is great. It's kind of painted like those magnificent landscapes that you might see in an English manor home. Yes. Very 19th century, very beautiful and isolating sequences, and it really sets the tone for a 19th century Victorian movie like this. At the very beginning, when we see Jane Eyre crossing the moors, yes, obviously very upset and crying and unhappy, and it's raining and it's terrible. She's got a cape on and she's carrying a little satchel. Yes, and you look at the way that Fukunaga has shot this scene from a high angle. Yes. You feel the loneliness so terribly. Yes. You start to understand immediately what this woman is going through and what she might go through again. So for all these reasons, Anne, I'm delighted and happy to really recommend this and give it a green light. I agree. I'm going to give this classic a classic green light. Rent it for yourself. Rent it for the kids. Rent it. Rent it indeed. Two. Green lights for Jane Eyre. Wow. Well, we're going to be back to review another film very, very shortly. We're always going to be back because we love going to the movies, and we hope you do too. And we hope that we excited you a little bit about this film and that you're going to go out and rent it and watch it and enjoy it as much as we did. Until that time, I'm Les Roberts. I'm Ann Elder. And if we keep looking hard enough, we're going to have a superb time at the movies. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.